The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Welcome to Scorebox with Jeff Cutmore and Karen Cho in the City of London and myself, Steve Sedgwick, in the City of Westminster. These are your headlines. UK Chancellor of the Exchequer Rishi Sunak will unveil the government's tax and spend plans today with more helpful workers on the way as he vows to, quote, do whatever it takes to support the British economy. Meanwhile, Wall Street gives back some of Monday's gains with tech stocks leading the fall. The Nasdaq is the relative underperformer. Both Apple and Facebook shed 2%. US President Joe Biden says the country will have enough COVID vaccines for every American adult by May. As he announces a new alliance between Johnson & Johnson and Merck aimed at speeding up the vaccine rollout. We're now on track to have enough vaccine supply for every adult in America by the end of May. China's services sector grows at its slowest pace in 10 months, hit by weak demand amid continued social distancing restrictions. And Germany's regulator reportedly takes control of Greensill Bank in a bid to prevent a wave of defaults and help save as many as 50,000 jobs as the troubled lender seeks insolvency protection. a very important day, not least for the UK, obviously, where we're going to find out a little bit more about how Richie Sunak sees the fiscal landscape. But it'll be a big day because other countries will be watching to see how the UK intends to balance the need to try and support the economy whilst at the same time dealing with some of the high levels of debt now that are being amassed as we continue with this pandemic situation. So let me just lay out the bare bones using the prop of the wall here, and then we'll get down to Steve at Westminster for a bit more detail on exactly uh, what he thinks will happen today. So the UK Chancellor of the Exchequer, Rishi Sunak, is set to unveil the 2021 budget. He'll use the government's, quote, fiscal firepower to continue COVID support programmes until the end of September. Sunak is expected to extend the majority of the furlough scheme whilst also creating space for up to 600,000 new self-employed claimants. Now, a little bit of a change here. The self-employed have complained that they have not been adequately supported through the pandemic over the course of the last year. That claim seems to have been heard and there will now be support for business and workers which could add in excess of £20 billion on the current plan. 
Of course, the challenge, as I mentioned at the top of this, is how to balance the need to support the economy whilst at the same time trying to make sure you are fiscally responsible. So the expectation is he will also look to shore up public finances, which will likely include some form of tax hikes or maybe even the suggestion that we might get some increase in both corporation tax and potentially P-A-Y-E, as we describe it, which is an income tax, Karen. Oh, Jeff, I'll just show you how we're perched on markets ahead of the budget today. Uh, we've got a little bit of risk off on markets, and I dare say it's those forces impacting sterling more so than what's been outlined in uh, some of the early budget leaks. Uh, sterling this morning just slipping a, a tad. Uh, you can see 139.47. We are off uh, the 142 level, the highs that we hit back in late February, but uh, not too far off, as you can see. So watch for a little bit of direction around the budget later on today. In terms of guilt, so we've seen a fair amount of movement along with global sovereigns at this point. And you can see uh, the, the 10-year yield uh, currently is sitting at 0.68. And that is also well and truly lifted off the, the 0.21% at 40-plus basis points in a short period of time since the start of this year. So uh, as we, we talk about tax and spending initiatives and what that means for the long-term view, it's going to be quite key for guilt markets at this point. A quick look at the opening calls too. We've seen a little bit of movement around some of the budget leaks, particularly in the home building market this week. And you can see uh, right across the European markets, we're called higher. On the FTSE specifically, we're chasing 31 points to the upside on the back of what was a modestly uh, better day yesterday for the FTSE that wrapped up shop. Yeah, so the interesting question, Steve, as we contemplate what happens next is how does Rishi Sunak now exploit the lead that the UK appears to have in this vaccine rollout program with apparently the end almost in sight here. Should he be looking to stimulate the economy further with this plan? Yeah, I think you've both made some absolutely fantastic points. And just to Karen's point about the guilt market, this is a government which is, amongst others, terrified about the refinancing costs going forward. And every uh, couple of percent we see higher uh, in terms of basis points on, on guilt yields as well, then, of course, that increases their financing going forward. This is a government that has borrowed somewhere in the region of £350 billion sterling uh, more than it anticipated or in the last year as well, compared with the previous year, which was uh, just double figures as well. So you can see the kind of... Uh, huge task going forward in refinancing just this for one government, let alone other governments around the world. That's why I guess many of them are are very keen to talk about actually the fact that inflation uh, isn't boiling over just yet. You make some very interesting points as well, Jeff, about warning about the future and balancing the books as well. I do think it is for the future as well, despite the fact that we're definitely going to get an announcement, it seems, on corporation tax, despite the fact that we're probably going to see something on, on, on income tax levels being frozen at both 12,500 for the lowest paid and 50,000 for uh, those slightly better off in the UK economy, uh, freezes to pension pot contributions as well. That will also raise some money as well. But I, I think it's, you just look at the numbers. I mean, for instance, if I said to you a corporation tax rise of 1% will raise an extra £3.3 billion a year, that sounds like a lot of money, you know, and if you get 4 or 5%, then obviously you're talking about real money over a period of a parliament. But some of the schemes you mentioned about supporting the economy, the furlough scheme extension, cost, maybe another £10 billion sterling. Grants for self-employed, you mentioned that, Jeff. Uh, again, 
9.5 billion costs of that one. Extension of universal credit to keep the, the very hardest off in society uh, out of real real problems of destitution at 3.2 billion costs as well. Uh, business rates extension as well. Uh, VAT cuts, the hospitality sector, another 8 billion in cost as well. Stamp duty holidays, that's going to cost as well. And 5 billion council grant scheme, which has already been announced. And when you kind of add up those kind of numbers, it puts into reality what actual tax hikes he can make via corporation tax at the moment. So I think this is very much about saying, for the moment, we've got your back. We're going to see extensions to all kinds of schemes, some to June, uh, like the stamp duty um, uh, holiday for properties under £500,000, others like the furlough scheme to the end of September because they are desperate, and I understand why we've seen this story before, desperate to keep people in uh, employment and, and thankfully the worst concerns about employment haven't happened yet, we've got a 5.1% unemployment rate as well, but the Bank of England at the moment is still expecting that figure at the end of furlough scheme, at the end of this crisis to go up as high as 7.5% as well, so if they can keep people in jobs, and of course that does keep people uh, paying some form of income tax as well. And as we saw with Germany, with the Kurzarbeit in the great financial crisis, it, it is a great policy if indeed it works as well. But I think it would be wrong to put this uh, this budget in a binary way, i.e. is it about spending or, or is it about uh, trying to balance the books for the future? Because I think there's a lot more going on here as well. And don't forget, this is the government that sold itself, that got an 80-seat 80, 80 majority on the back of Brexit as well. So it's also about the Brexit agenda, the independence agenda uh, and, and the um, the levelling up agenda. I mean, this is a chance who says, oh, I'd like to level with you. Well, using that, that word in another way, levelling up is what the government promised to do to the country, i.e. in turn making the Midlands and the north of the country uh, a lot wealthier compared with the disparity with the south as well. It's also supposed to be a green budget as well. So see a nod perhaps to uh, government green initiatives, perhaps some form of uh, government investment funds, some form of green guilt, so to speak, as well as where people may well be able to invest uh, in green infrastructure going forward. And I mentioned the election. Well, I mentioned the last election. What about the next election? A lot of people are saying Rishi Sunet's got a really tricky phase. He can't raise taxes too much at the moment, but he's got to do them fairly soon. Because if he's going to try and uh, tax cut into the next election, which is seen at the moment in 2024, uh, then that, again, is a very delicious equation. And then there's brand Rishi as well. No one can escape the fact that throughout this crisis, he's been given plaudits from both sides of the political divide, from all sides of economy, because he's been handing out the goodies as well. The government spent £280 billion uh, on government and economic support mechanisms alone. Well, basically, now he's got to start doing some of the harder stuff. So Brand Rishian, we hear he's a very, very um, ambitious man as well. Perhaps he wants to tilt at the leadership of the of the country at some stage in the future. So he's got to see uh, and, and see what his image looks like as he takes away a little bit uh, as well as giving. So there's a lot of measures that have already been announced. Some haven't been. I mean, it's very hard for us looking at this to work out what is speculation uh, and what has actually been leaked already. But uh, a lot of it came out, even from uh, Kwasi Katang last night, uh, about some government support schemes and the extension of the, the, the furlough scheme as well. So it'll be very interesting to see where they go from here. Steve, I wanted to just get into some of the consumption. And we were talking about this yesterday, how difficult it is for many of those shops to, to reopen at this point. They've got bills to pay off. They owe some of the suppliers. They've got to re-gear the business, spend money on technology. There's a, a long laundry list of things they need to do when they open those doors finally. And what we've heard consistently, £5 billion in grant schemes for to help out many on the high street. But also this one for, let's call it a, a cultural guarantee to help the uh, heart and soul of communities, the local boozer, if it closes. We're hearing that uh, they 
there may be a, a 150 million pound pot where you can go and help out and uh, create a community support group and buy that local boozer. What did you make of some of those initiatives that have been leaked? Well, I, I think, um, let me take that in order. I, I'll come to the booze in a minute. You know it's my favourite topic, that, that and old British cars. Uh, uh, but, but I think it's fa- fantastic um, that they're going to uh, basically support these companies. I think £6,000 was the, the minimum level sum. It goes up to as far high as 18500 in in the local government support. for the. But the real problem here isn't that. The real problem here is a longer-term issue that predates the pandemic, and this is the appalling nature of the business rate scheme as well, uh, and how it values properties and hence you have to pay business rates as well. If they could have a root and branch look at tax, then that'd be very interesting. I understand actually that could well be happening uh, later this month, where uh, a real good look at the tax structure will happen as well. So I think that that's potentially good news, but there are structural problems that predate the pandemic on business rates for those kind of companies you're talking about, Karen. Uh, and, And yeah, I think you're right about the technology side of things. In fact, two things on technology. One, we may well get a little surprise extension of the amount you're allowed to pay with uh, tap and pay, you know, you ha- when you don't have to actually put in your PIN note. At the moment, it's gone up to £45 in the UK. Well, that's very annoying for those of us who fill up our tank and it's about £48 and you have to go in and, uh, and pay with chip and PIN. But so that may well go up. Some people are talking as much as £100. So there's a nod to your technology there, Karen. Another nod to technology is the traditional day. 12.30, Chancellor Schecker gets up here, does his speech, uh, leader of the opposition or the shadow chancellor uh, replies. In this case, it's going to be the leader of the opposition, Sakia Starmer. And after that, though, Karen, you may well be, want to get on this one. There's going to be a Twitter chat. Yeah, meet Rishi kind of thing. So I think that might be for you, Karen. So that one probably around about 2, 2.30. You might want to get onto your Twitter account and have a crack at that one as well. Now, my favourite subject on the pub support as well. There's a lot of pubs in the UK, despite what Camera says, which is the campaign for Real Out, and about the closures of many pubs. It is a real concern as well. But what we do have problems with community pubs as well. So I'll hold my hands up, Karen. If that is the initiative, and if one of my local boozers in deepest, darkest East Sussex needs the support, I would hands up. It would be one of the best things I could spend my money on getting involved in supporting the local boozer as well. So yes, Karen, I think that's a great initiative uh, and uh, gets a thumbs up from the Sedgwick household. In fact, I say Sedgwick household. I'm not sure how Mrs Sedgwick would feel about it, but I will do it anyway. Yeah, I, I don't think you're going to get any quibble from me on that one, Steve. Um, I, I'm happy to throw in my lot with you on that. We'll see you a little bit later. Let's just point out to the audience, uh, join us. We have special coverage, obviously, throughout the morning here, but we will catch up on Rishi Sunak's budget announcement later today with a special show on the UK budget. That's 1300 CET. It kicks off. But we've got plenty of guests, as I say, throughout Squawk Box and across the programming this morning who will give us their insight and opinions on what the UK needs at this point. Carl Emerson, just to highlight one, is Deputy Director at the Institute for Fiscal Studies. So we'll have that conversation and tune in to Street Signs to hear from James Murray, uh, Shadow Financial Secretary at the Treasury. Coming up on the show, growth in China's services sector slows as weaker demand weighs on activity. We'll have more details after the break. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music and Google Podcasts.
China's services sector grew at its slowest pace in 10 months in February as weaker demand and higher costs took a toll on the private sector, prompting employers to cut jobs. Uh, Sam, this is the second set of uh, PMI data now that suggests that we've just got a little bit of a slowing trend on the growth trajectory. Um, Is this transitory or do we think there's something more permanent happening with the growth path? Good morning to you, Jeff. Well, I think the outlook uh, certainly looks better. And I think you hit the nail on the head there. You know, certainly this uh, private survey we got today was consistent with those official numbers that we got out over the weekend, but also that manufacturing PMI we got out earlier in the week. And what that tells us is that this is largely a seasonal adjustment or a seasonal dip because we do tend to see things slow down around the Lunar New Year holiday. But this cooling off also came, of course, as China saw a big spike in cases of the virus at the start of the year. So business were clearly still dealing with the fallout from that. This was a bit of a double whammy for them. Of course, millions were put into lockdown in the north of the country. Many people were discouraged from travelling during the Lunar New Year holiday and all that contributed to activity actually growing at its slowest pace in 10 months in February. Companies did say they struggled with slowing demand but also rising costs and that led them to actually uh, lay off workers. Actually, employment uh, fell into contraction for the first time in seven months. There were also reports that the recent spike in cases globally weighed on things as well. And we did see the survey showing the first drop in new export orders since October. Of course, the services sector we know is more vulnerable to these sorts of lockdowns, these social distancing measures and also these restrictions than the manufacturing side of things. And that's why this sector has been slower to recover than the industrial side of things. But it is important to point out uh, that the PMI number did stay above that 50 mark, which separates uh, expansion from contraction. And That was thanks in part to actually a change in consumption patterns we saw in China. As I said, people were discouraged from travelling and that meant more people spent money uh, domestically and that really helped sectors uh, like tourism, online shopping and also entertainment. Of course, we did see uh, China's box office revenue hit a a record high and certainly that is good for the consumption story in China uh, moving forward as we know that that has been a weak spot in the recovery. So certainly with the vaccine rollout that we're seeing and this global recovery, recovery, things are expected to be a little rosier in the coming months, guys. Back to you in London. Thanks so much for that, Sam. Well, let's have a check in then on how the Asian markets have reacted to some of these data points. Karen. Uh, Jeff, well, what we've got across the markets, uh, green splashing up on the boards. So it's been very much a stop-stop pattern all week. We had green at the start of the week, bit of a give back yesterday, back in the green today. And 1.6% to jump for the Chinese market, despite some of the weakness in that services data. 2.2% on Hong Kong. So real acceleration for that market, very strong, 600 plus points to the upside. And you can see at other end of the board, more modest ranges, but still decent uh, performance for Japan and Australia today. And let's uh, take a look at the U.S. markets and the action we saw there. It's been a pretty volatile start to the month of March uh, with those patterns we're witnessing where investors have parked fears aside, gotten back into stocks fairly aggressively and then sold them off the next day. And uh, the stocks that were moving again, Caterpillar, this is around the rotation story. That was one of the big moving stocks for the Dow. It was under pressure in session yesterday. So it's like give back uh, despite being the forefront of some of those new commodity trends, the super cycle we've been talking about as uh, this is one of the key equipment makers for the mining industry. S&P and uh, Nasdaq also trading down. You can see an outsized drop for the Nasdaq 
Apple was one of the big moving stocks to the downside this time. And the day earlier, it was the complete opposite of that, where we were talking about the endorsement from Berkshire Hathaway of the weekend for Apple stock, which saw that surge of just over 5%, but uh, pullback yesterday, not helping out the major boards. A closer look at the U.S. technology sector, and you can see some of those big names, Apple down 2%, uh, other falls. Facebook 2.2% off, bigger size falls in the like, likes of Twitter down 5% and Tesla. Again, another day where you saw a give back for the day earlier where that trade was much stronger in session uh, previously. So it uh, has been very choppy in the action just so far this week. Treasuries. They have very much backed off the levels that were causing concerns last week around the 1.6 plus percent mark on the 10-year yield. And we remain around this 1.40 level. That said, I don't think the valuation fears on the markets after how quickly we ran up last year has actually been fully put aside. And that's telling you some of those patterns as you're seeing downbeat days on the markets. Uh, just worth noting that uh, there's been a lot of optimism around some quarters of the market around the stimulus spending. And of course, vaccines. And we heard yesterday uh, from President Biden that there should be enough vaccines for every adult American by the end of May. So uh, that's positive news for the markets as they, they follow the inoculation program, Jeff. Yeah, isn't that ironic? Let's, we'll talk about this in just a second. I just want to get this uh, clip out to the audience. Federal Reserve Board Member Lel Brainard uh, says the volatile market moves over the last week have her focus. Let's hear what she said. I am paying close attention uh, to market developments. Uh, some of those moves last week and the speed of the moves uh, caught my eye. I would be concerned uh, if I saw disorderly conditions or persistent tightening in financial conditions that could slow progress uh, towards our goal. Uh, Lael Brain out there. Look, we are not where we want to be. Let's just make that very clear to start off with here. But as you look at the market action yesterday, it sort of betrays the more positive outlook that we're getting around the real economy. Obviously, Biden talking now about vaccines for every adult in May. That is a good news story, unambiguously. The Monday data was extraordinary. The manufacturing rebound here. We're now at a three-year high on this series of data in the United States, which starts to su suggest a very, very spiky-looking GDP number, which, again, raises some issues. Uh, why is the market in its cups about the prospect of better data? And I suspect perhaps maybe this is more about a choppy transition in market leadership, i.e. a rotation to cyclicals and away from growth tech, perhaps, than it is per se about people walking away from the market because they're concerned about valuations. Yeah, I think perhaps we do need to talk about consumer behaviour here. I was talking yesterday about going to the physio. That was all on in terms of exercise for people or it was nothing at all, people just sitting around. I think the market action has been very similar. You've seen a very concentrated action, a very short space of time. I mean, late last year was a monster quarter for the markets. Again, you saw that activity but we've come so far. Investors now looking back saying, well, is there anything left in these market valuations at this point? We've just had earnings season. We've been breaking over those numbers. And even though we've got some great numbers from the technology sector, it is time for rotation as we reopen uh, parts of the economy. So I think a lot of investors are just sitting back at this point and it goes to the consumer behaviour. You can't have markets that just keep on rallying or keep on selling even. If you think about where we've moved uh, with some of these patterns just from the start of this month, what was 6-odd percent off some of the, the highs, we're not too far off that uh, record territory still, but that's it. If we keep on selling, we start to hit correct correction territory. So I think a lot of investors are just biding their time at this point, Steve. Yeah, look, I think we have to queue up our crises at the moment. And I've always said this, and so apologies for repeating myself, but the clear and present danger 
quite blatantly obvious is the pandemic and we have to overcome the pandemic and we have to get the world vaccinated and touch wood and I don't touching wood on my head or something it appears that we are massively on track in countries such as Israel they're going great guns in countries such as UK they're doing really well everyone else is getting themselves up and running President Biden's announcements I thought were fantastic overnight about the speed with which he believes he can get the US population vaccinated so let's just take the most optimistic um, scenario here where the pandemic gets beaten at some stage this year. The second scenario, of course, is the economic crisis as well. And, and as Jeff quite rightly pointed out, there is an economic crisis uh, and, and we want to see a quick rally from that. So let's say we do get that as well. Let's say a lot of that pent up demand, uh, whether it's the consumer, whether it's industry, whether it's a super cycle that you were talking about yesterday, Karen, maybe some of that can uh, just all come through and we have a blockbuster second half of the year, which incidentally is what we think the Office of Budget Responsibility here in London today are going to say, yes, 2021 growth rate are going to be very good. So that's the first two issues sorted. Then we're going to enter what I think is perhaps the biggest crisis of our time, which is the fact that interest rates, central banks, inflation, they will all come back as well at some stage. It's part of the natural cycle as well. And despite the fact that there's this wonderful, strenuous debate about whether inflation is back now, there is no doubt about it that if we see an economic recovery, we're going to get more towards those 2% target rates, which are so spurious around the world. There has to be an interest rate response in that case. I think every economist would agree to that, that when the economy is all firing all cylinders, when inflation is back, albeit if it's going to run a little bit hard as well, uh, then we're going to see an interest rate response. And that, I'm afraid, ladies and gentlemen, is when I think the third crisis happens as well, because the amount of debt raised at virtually no interest rates, at historically of our lifetime and our grandparents' generation uh, of lifetime, the rates are like, and you've raised more money at those low, your cost of borrowing as a percentage of your payback of those is going to be far bigger when you see those rate hikes as well. And that is when I think we're going to find out what kind of recovery we're going to have in the longer term, whether there's going to be moribund companies, uh, countries with huge debt loads as well. I've been looking at the British figures. The numbers are quite startling. If we only see a little bit of inflation coming back in and 1% on gilt yields as well, it gets very expensive for this government to pay down its enormous debts. I know it's a little bit further down the line, but if we're being optimistic, we have to start thinking about it. Oh, absolutely. Um, let's just refocus then on the uh, the charts here, because um, once again, you know, you get those periods where suddenly your inbox starts filling up with technical analysis uh, from friends out there who like to draw lines um, on paper with rulers saying to you, watch for head and shoulders developments in the S&P here. And I think this is very interesting. The, the question really is, and as you look at this chart, look at that left shoulder. Do we complete and make a right shoulder here or do we break the neckline? And, and I think the technicians at the moment are watching the S&P very closely and they're watching the Nasdaq very closely for two similar patterns. And it is a head and shoulders that might suggest that we now have fatigue and markets topping out. But the point here is we need to actually see some higher days to take out the prospect of an emerging um, head and shoulders pattern and the other side of the shoulder reforming here. That's the theory and that's what the technicians are watching right now because they're arguing that on the US indices in particular, we may begin to see topping out at this stage because there is concern obviously about valuations. Mm. We may have had a sell down last week the issue at this point is what does that sell down represent? Was that the first whiff of grape shot effectively suggesting that you've had the best of it 
on this rally and it's time to start lightening your positions? Or is it actually just uh, evidence of the fact that we've got this choppiness around the interest rate story? People are trying to assess the valuations of their equity positions, but ultimately there will be enough momentum in the economic recovery and in the wave of money from this 1.9 trillion stimulus that helps push this market up through the potential risk of a break in the neckline. I think it's a good point around the, the technicals. I was looking at the 50-day moving average on the Nasdaq, which flashed up some signs the other day as well. But, you know, as we're talking about charts, don't forget the European markets in the mix here. Uh, both France and Germany have been tracking around some of the higher ranges that we've seen since that pandemic sell-off. So as we talk about the, the natural challenge uh, and trying to get above peaks that you've achieved recently, I, I think you need a fresh catalyst. And the vaccine story might very well be it, but that's been a slow story when it comes to some of the European countries. So as we talk about catch up and don't forget a lot of markets, we're looking for direction to be taken away from the United States to an extent and have a catch up in other markets. Catch ups really happened. We need a little bit more to nudge this trade higher. And perhaps uh, it's some of the European markets, other international markets that need to have that catch up to support the US market at this point, Steve. Yeah, I'm surprised at you two. You, you, you're talking as if all markets are created equal. So I'm just yeah, just prodding you both a little bit there because I don't think they are. And I, and I think that we've got bubbles forming in certain areas of the market. And anyone who's watched your show over the last couple of days or so will know roughly where the three of us think those bubbles potentially could be forming as well. So what I'm fascinated is when that we do get, again, the chart formations and how they pan out as well. It's the, the aggression of, of how some of those bubbles um, uh, basically start to lose air as well and see margin calls and where there's herded stocks as well how aggressively those areas will fall perhaps in some technology areas perhaps some in some of these special acquisition vehicles perhaps in some of these bitcoin type instruments as well so i'm very interested to see the aggression and the beta that happens to the rest of the market compared to some of those as well and i'm just wondering whether we're going to see some solidity from some parts of the market but aggressive declines elsewhere or or, and again, I don't know the answers, whether they're all going to fall uh, quite aggressively because of the nature of the market at the moment. And we have a different class of retail investor these days, don't we? That's right, uh, Steve. We'll part the conversation there on the markets, and I'm sure we'll circle back to it a little bit later on. But I want to take you to Dialogue Semiconductor. Numbers just crossing from the Apple supplier today for the full year. Don't forget this as uh, investors ponder a deal that's been on the table from uh, Renesis, the uh, Japanese player to consolidate and take over Dialogue Semiconductor. The Q4 operating profit has crossed at 69.9 million US dollars versus 53.7 million uh, US dollars same time a year ago. So a big improvement you're seeing in those numbers. Uh, The fourth quarter underlying operating profit, that is up 21%. Q4 revenue up 15%, so that's a double-digit climb to 439 million US dollars. The underlying uh, diluted EPS at 1.26 US dollars versus 1.02 US dollars same time a year ago. So we are seeing some stronger numbers here and that uh, plays to the trend you're seeing. Don't forget a whole bunch of new devices uh, from Apple, including the iPhone 12 and uh, stay-at-home trends have been very popular too for a lot of the other lineup uh, along the uh, Apple supply chain. So uh, I think it's been reflected in the numbers. The question is whether there's aid and enhances uh, takeover talks or whether it undermines them where people are still calling for some independency in the, the supply chain around some of these chips given what we've seen with the chip shortage. Yeah, I think it's incumbent on any company in this space to demonstrate that it's been able to take advantage of this sweet spot. And it has been a terrific sweet spot for the semiconductor industry. Have they capitalised on that? 
But ultimately, to pick up your point, what risks potentially are there in companies um, bringing the supply chains in and making them shorter? Do we get a shift in market share for some of these businesses? Yeah, there was some pushback from the industry yesterday saying it was up to the clients, the customers themselves to manage the inventory that they require. That's not going to be down to the semiconductors to be holding more stock for them just in case. So I thought that was quite interesting in the early pushback that came from the sector. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.